Good morning. Good to see those of you who are in the building, and welcome to those of you who are watching us online this morning. Next week, we have our back-to-school service. Um, sometimes when we do these things, adults wonder if there's any point in coming to such a thing, because they, of course, are not going back to school well unless they are uh, staff members. But some of you will be parents, or grandparents, or great-grandparents, um, or some other relative of a child who is going back to school. And if you're uh, in that group, you'll understand that it's important to be supportive. Um, if you're not, then I want to tell you that it is a real encouragement to the young people and the staff to see that they are supported and, and encouraged by your presence, sharing uh, with them at these moments. And we join together at that point to worship God and to, to pray for all of those folk who are at school and college and university because it's hard. It's hard for these, for these young people and, and for Christian members of staff in school. And so, I would encourage you to, to come along. Now, having said that, each week we do ask you to book and I know that the regulations and everything are changing. However, we would still, particularly for next week, ask if you would book in. And the reason for that um, is that while so far we've had plenty of room and you know, people turn up and, and we've been able to accommodate everybody, um, it's really to help the people who are stewarding because we need more stewards if we need to use the upstairs. So it's very helpful for us uh, as the staff uh, and the stewards to know roughly how many people are coming. But equally, I don't want you to get to, to, to Sunday morning and think, oh no, I never booked, I better not go, because we do have capacity uh, for, for you. But I would please encourage you, uh, certainly for, for next week, uh, to, uh, to book your space uh, in advance. Next Sunday, um, we are hoping to have a picnic in the park. So bring your own um, food and a blanket or a chair or uh, whatever, and we're going to go across uh, into to the park um, and have an opportunity to get to know each other. Of course, we still need to follow the regulations and all of that, and we will do that. But um, it's an opportunity just to, to do something that we've kind of missed for a long time. Um, we've been able to be together in, in church, but... But that kind of post-church getting to know people in the fellowship has been missing. And so here's an opportunity uh, to, to join with that. As long as it's half-decent weather, we'll be uh, able to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for those moments when we do remember just to pause and to be with you. And in those moments, we are reminded that you are so much bigger than the limits of our minds. Your mercy takes our breath away, and your love knows no bounds. We praise you for your glory, which is utterly beyond our imagining, and for your goodness, which sustains the whole universe. We praise you for your majesty, which leaves us speechless. Your sovereignty which gives us courage. We praise you that you're not simply one God among many, 
but that you are the one and only true and living God. We praise you because you're the one who had no beginning, and we worship you because you have no end. Before the world was made, before there was anything to be seen, before a sound was heard or a color excited the senses, you were God. Before an idea was given shape, before a thought was set in motion, before time itself began, you were God. Before there were seas and oceans, mountains and valleys, streams and rivers, plants and animals, before any human existed, you were God. And we thank you for your love made flesh in Jesus, who came, lived, died, and was resurrected as a sign of your love for us. We praise you that your love has reached into our hearts and our lives, that we are made new through faith, that we are being changed by your Spirit, and we give you the glory. And as we say together the prayer Jesus taught his disciples, we remember that it doesn't provide a formula for protection. Rather, it provides a way of living our lives for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Now, Janet is going to come and read our Bible passage for today, after which Fiona is going to lead us in our prayers for others. The reading is from Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. 
Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those, those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Cariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. Amen. And thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Gracious God, you have blessed us beyond our deserving. You have given us more than we could ever have dared ask for, loving us with a love that refuses to count the cost, showering us with good things too many to number. Gracious God, for your generous and wonderful gifts we praise you and we offer ourselves to you. We offer back to you what you have given to us in the form of our offerings, of our money, our time and our talents. May you guide and use us, Lord, to further the work of your kingdom here on earth. We pray for those who work for peace in our world and we remember the countries that do not live in peace countries that live with violence every day. We remember especially Afghanistan again this week and pray that the violence there would cease and would not escalate any further. We pray for those who campaign for justice, for an end to poverty, for those who fight for the hungry, for the oppressed and the exploited and any who are denied their proper rights. We ask that they may be given inspiration and courage to challenge unjust systems. We pray for the victims of human trafficking and for organisations that exist to help them. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to recognise signs of trafficking even here in Edinburgh and show us how we can help to bring aid and support where it is needed. Lord, you have created a wonderful and magnificent world which you have given to us to live in and to care for. Yet how often have we failed in our duty to care for your world, either through ignorance, neglect or willful destruction. Forgive us, Lord. Once again this week we saw on our television screens the horrors of wildfires and the destruction that they are causing this time in Greece. We pray for that country, for those whose families, homes and livelihoods are being threatened, and we ask that the fires would abate, that
that the destruction would be halted, that rains would come. We give thanks for the firefighters and others who are bravely tackling these fires and ask that you be with them to give them courage in the face of danger. And we pray for peace for those who are worried, for that shalom peace that only you can give in the face of great danger and trouble. And nearer home we saw floods again, this time in Greenock. We saw shops which have had a hard time over this past year. Shopkeepers who were finally getting back on their feet and yet were flooded out. So we pray for these shopkeepers and owners of these premises, that they would be able to recover again and that their businesses could be able to reopen again soon. And Lord, as we see and think about these things, help us to focus our attention on ways that we can help alleviate climate change. Even just little things that each of us could do to make a change. So we pray for COP26, which happens soon, that awareness of issues would be raised and that solutions could be found. We pray for our church family here at Barclay Viewforth, for those of our family who are ill at this time, for those who are lonely, for those who have been bereaved. May they know your presence with them, bringing peace, courage and strength where it is needed. As we continue our journey through this pandemic, with more restrictions easing tomorrow, we give thanks that you have been with us each step of the way and we pray for the continuing progress of the vaccination programme. Lord, continue to guide us through this time of worry and fear, for we know we remember that you have promised to be with us at all times. So we ask these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, the tune will be familiar, even although the words may not be. It's a hymn that talks about the kingdom of God and what it's like to be part of that. somebody um, has just recently come to faith and they ask, where should I start reading the Bible? I would generally say, Mark. It's short, for one. It's really fast-paced. 
There's always stuff happening in Mark's gospel. So, it's a good place to start to get an overview of the story of Jesus. And so, we've reached chapter 3, but in the first couple of chapters, quite a lot of things happen. We're breaking into the, the sort of early part of Jesus' ministry. And in the first two chapters, he announces a new era in the plans of God. It's, it's the Kairos moment. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. And what he's meaning is, I'm starting something new. And then he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him. To do what? Well, Mark doesn't tell us. It just says he called them and they followed. Then we're told he casts demons from people and he heals many others. And then we find that he sets an example for us about the need to rest and to spend time with God. He'd had this really hectic day. There had been hundreds and hundreds of people. He had been on the go and it says very early in the morning, he got up and he found a solitary place where he prayed. He couldn't do the work that, that he was doing unless he had spent that time with his father. And that's a great example for us. And then he challenged the religious people by asking them whether it's easier to forgive sin than to heal somebody. You see, friends of a man who couldn't walk had come to the house where Jesus was teaching, and they couldn't get in. And it's a great story that we get at Sunday school, um, and, you know, if you've ever done it, you've got a cardboard box, and you make the hole in the top and all that kind of stuff. And they made a hole in the roof. Now, I suspect if you were the householder, you wouldn't be chuffed that they've climbed onto your roof and they've made a hole big enough to lower their pal through so that he was there where Jesus was. And the religious people didn't know what to do. So when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, get up and take your bed and be on your way. They had no answer to that but that's what he did. And then he has issues with them because they don't understand Sabbath. And that's where we join the story in our reading today. But in order to understand what's going on in the background, we really need to understand that Sabbath was particularly relevant and important for Jews in Jesus' world. It had all that mixture of social pressure and legal sanction, but it was also kind of like a badge of Jewishness for people who had been persecuted and killed simply for being Jewish. It was kind of like a national flag that spoke of freedom to come, of hope for that great day of rest when God would finally liberate Israel from oppression, when he would usher in this new kingdom and this new king would arrive, the one that they were waiting for, the Messiah. 
Keeping the Sabbath then marked them out as God's special people, God's faithful people, God's hoping people. So why does Jesus go against what the religious people think? Well, I think it's because it had become a weapon. It was tied up with nationalism and exclusion. It had caused separation. And for some, it wasn't enough to be a loyal Jew, a faithful Jew. You had to be a better faithful Jew than the others. And the way to show that was by how strictly and rigidly you kept all of the rules that they had introduced about the Sabbath. Never taking into account the fact that they broke it just as easily. So you could only walk so far in the Sabbath until you were doing work. So in order to get around that, they would go out the day before and leave some food, because if you had food, you could continue your journey. But they never saw how ridiculous that was. And there was all sorts of things like that going on. And so Jesus challenges that attitude, that behavior, that kind of thinking about being better than everybody else. They had become obsessive, if you like, about that strict keeping of the Sabbath. So much so that we're told when Jesus challenged them, they decided from that moment to work out how they could get rid of him. By this point in the story, we see that there were lots of people coming from all over the region to to be with Jesus, to to see Jesus, because he was healing people. And at a time where medicine was pretty basic, that was a huge deal. If you could be healed of just about anything, then you would go and see the one who was healing. Mark, in calling uh, these uh, unclean or impure spirits, is a convenient way of saying two things about them. First, they're non-physical powers that operate upon and sometimes within a person. And second, they defile the, the one that they inhabit, making that person behave in ways that are untrue to their calling as a human being. But we're also told that they recognize the power of Jesus. They knew who Jesus was, and they had to be obedient to Jesus. And then we have a kind of random bit about Jesus went up the mountain and he called people up the mountain. In those days, if you were, um, you know, trying to ferment revolution, you called people up a mountain, you know, and you had your hideout up the mountain. And so Mark's saying there's something about the revolution going on here. Jesus is doing something quite new. And so he's called these folks up the mountain. And then we get to the point of what Jesus is doing in fermenting this kind of revolution. He chose 12 people. Now, there were others. There were lots of others, perhaps. But these 12 were given a special place, a special role in his ministry. But every Jew knew that there were 12 tribes of Israel, or at least there had been Ten of them had been lost about 700 years earlier when they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. But they were waiting for that time when God was going to restore them, 
when the twelve were going to be there and God was going to bring everything back to its rightful place. And to a Jew in those days, it would not have been lost on them that Jesus picked 12 people. He's saying more clearly than words could have done that this wasn't simply a great healing movement or mission. It's not even simply a time of spiritual renewal. This was the time of restoration that they had been waiting for. And it was going to happen at every level. Spiritual, physical, social, and political. And then we come to the family. His family heard what he was doing. And they thought he'd had a turn of some sort. That he, that he had lost his mind. They, they, just, they just couldn't get it. They couldn't understand what on earth was going on. He's gone too far. He's causing too much of a stir. It, it, it's, something's happened and he's doing these weird things and he's got these weird ideas. And so they think he's lost his mind. And the religious people, they go a step further and they start to spread this rumor that he's in fact been possessed by, by one of these unclean spirits that have appeared when he's around maybe even by the devil himself. And if you read on in the chapter, what you discover is that when his family get to the house and he's told that they've arrived, he doesn't go to see them. He actually says, well, who is my family? And the answer is, people who believe in God and do God's will. They're my brothers and sisters. They're my family. Now, we know he didn't ignore his earthly family. It's not one or the other. We know that even on the cross, when he looked down at his mother, he made sure that she was cared for and protected because he loved her. So it's not, it's not you know, we'll ditch your earthly family and we'll go for the spiritual lot. That's not how it works. It's both together. But in effect, Jesus in this chapter is starting to build a new and different sort of family. This group of 12 and the other followers who were there will become the early church. And that will grow across the world. And today, we are part of the family of God. We have spiritual relatives that we've never met. There are some that we don't like. There are definitely odd ones. There are some that we don't agree with. And there are some that we find share our passion and we love spending time with them. We are energized by being around them. But we need that spiritual family to help us on our journey of faith. I'm grateful for the many people over the years who have invested in me at different stages of my life. And I hope that I have been able to encourage other people as well. Over these next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on growing young and sharing again elements of that, uh, that idea and that project. But mostly it's about family 
and, and how we treat others, how we interact, who we can support and encourage. It's not just about young people. It's about people who are younger than you are. It's about people who need to hear your story, who need to hear your experience, who need your help and your guidance and your support and your encouragement, who need to be given permission to try something and be supported if it goes wrong and encouraged when it goes right. Every one of us, every one of us has a part to play in that, to find those who need our help and support and encouragement and do it. The part of the family of God that is this congregation has so much to offer to each other and to the wider community. I'm sure we have our slightly strange folk. I'm sure we have the ones that find it hard to, to communicate. I'm sure we have all of that variety uh, that, that is in life. And that's good. It's really good. I mean, I do say occasionally, if, if everybody was like me, what a wonderful place it would be. But I mean, we know that that's not true. We know that we need the variety. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's life. And we have it here in abundance. What we need to learn to do together is live it out in the community, in the congregation, but in the wider community. It's how we share God's love with people. And we'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. We are the family of God. We bear His name and we've been filled with His Spirit. We are called and equipped for service and we go in His name for His glory and in His love. And may His blessing go with you this day and every day. Amen.